Welcome to the Conversions Podcast, where we discuss conversion rate optimization and the latest tips, technologies, and actionable strategies that you can actually use to get more of your website's visitors to take action. And now, your host, Francis Teo. Welcome to another episode of the Conversions Podcast. Today we have with us Daryl Mander. Daryl is an experienced digital marketing consultant with over eight years of experience in marketing and advertising. He helps small and medium-sized businesses and e-commerce merchants acquire more leads, sales, and customers by scaling their traffic through online advertising and PPC. Welcome to the podcast, Daryl. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. So could you tell us a bit more about how you got into online marketing and advertising? I kind of just gravitated towards it. I left university with uh, an economics degree and realized I wanted to do something to do with marketing. So my first stop was a client-side marketing department for a large corporation in the UK called Capita Business Services. And from that point on, it was a series of steps until I eventually ended up in online advertising where I wanted to be. So I moved from marketing into TV advertising because I realized from doing marketing that I actually wanted to be in advertising. And from TV advertising, I just realized how very old school and uh, uncreative things can be in TV advertising. It's been done the same way for years and years and years and years, and nothing particularly new has been developed in the process for quite a while. And I realized that I'm a bit of a technology lover. I live my life online and online advertising was really where I needed to be. So about three or four years into my career in marketing and advertising, I I finally ended up where I needed to be in online advertising. And I I did the rounds in some digital advertising agencies in the UK. And then about a year ago, I left the agency career. And since then, I've been uh, operating as a solo online advertising consultant. Well, on the Conversions podcast, a lot of our listeners are interested in increasing conversions on their websites. So I understand that you have a lot of experience in retargeting and display advertising. Could you tell us a bit more about what retargeting actually is? Sure. So retargeting in its most basic form is taking information that you have about a user from your own website and using that information to target that user with advertising. So the advertising that you target the user with could be display advertising. It could be a banner ad shown on a website other than your own, or it could even be email retargeting. What we'll be talking about today, uh, the thing that I'm most experienced with is actually the banner ads retargeting side of things. While there are other forms of retargeting available, I think from now on we'll probably just use the word retargeting to talk about display retargeting. The way retargeting works is, let's say a user comes to your website. When they hit your website, a tracking code which you've placed on your website or which your agency or consultant has placed on your website, that tracking code will drop a cookie on that user's computer. And that cookie can then be used to identify that user when they're browsing other websites. And with that information, you can then target the user with adverts about your product or your site. People will often notice retargeting because it's so highly targeted to their previous browsing behavior. A common use of retargeting is with e-commerce clients who might have hundreds or even thousands of products on their website. These merchants can install retargeting codes on their website that not only can tell that a user has been to their website before, but it can also tell exactly which products on the website the user has been looking at. And that's where retargeting becomes really, really noticeable to the user that's browsing other websites because it can be so closely tailored to not only where which sites they've been to before, but also which products they've been looking at before. So an example might be a user goes to an e-commerce website selling mobile phones and tablets. They look at the latest Samsung tablets and they look at the latest iPad, but they don't buy anything. Uh, they close down their browser and don't buy anything on that particular day. However, tomorrow, they might be browsing around the web, they might be checking their emails on their web-based email server, or they might be browsing the uh, newspaper websites, catching up with the latest industry news. At that point, the e-commerce merchant can show them a retargeted ad displaying the exact products 
that they've been looking at previously and potentially even displaying a price promotion or free postage or some sort of discount to encourage them to come back to the site. Uh, there are other forms of retargeting available as well. Um, so this, the form of retargeting that I've just described there is sites retargeting, which literally means you use the data from your own website to retarget the user. There's also a newer form of retargeting that's doing the rounds and becoming increasingly popular and effective, uh, and that's search retargeting. It looks the same to the user. It's still a display banner ad shown on a third-party website, often displaying products or services that the user might have been looking for before. But what's really interesting about search retargeting is that you don't have to use the data from your own website to target the user. Uh, if your website only gets 1,000 or 2,000 unique users per month, your retargeted audience is only going to be 1,000 or 2,000 users per month because by definition, you can only target the users who have been to your site. What's interesting about search retargeting is that you can target users retarget users who haven't been to your site. So let's go back again to our iPad and phone example. Our e-commerce merchant using search retargeting can target a user that hasn't been to their site before, but this user has searched for iPads and tablets before. So search retargeting uses search engine data to target users who have been searching for your product or service but who have not been to your site before. And this allows you to target a much wider audience than site retargeting alone. Uh, other forms of retargeting that we probably won't be talking about today, uh, but I feel I should just mention is uh, our email retargeting. So much like site retargeting, uh, you can use email retargeting to send emails to customers that have been to your website that have not converted. Uh, an example of this might be emailing a user who has been to your website, started the checkout process, they've clicked add to cart on a product, they've gone into the basket, and then perhaps halfway through the checkout process, they've abandoned the cart. You can now use email retargeting to target that user and bring them back to the site. Once again, using a price promotion or often a uh, money off discount or free postage, you can use emails to bring that customer back to the site and hopefully make the conversion that they abandoned in the first place. When you keep using the word retargeting, so there's this other word, remarketing. Is that the same thing? Uh, yes, it is. Essentially, uh, the whole world or everybody else calls it retargeting. And for if you go to 90% of the networks and publishers and suppliers out there who specialize in retargeting, they will call it retargeting. But Google. Uh, likes to be special. Google likes to be different and they've got the market share to be able to invent new terms and make them popular as a result. So Google calls it remarketing, but there's literally no difference between the two terms other than the fact that Google decided to call it remarketing and most other suppliers call it retargeting. With retargeting, we use tracking cookies on websites. With the growing privacy concerns with cookies, as well as the issues of placing cookies on mobile devices, do you think retargeting is going away anytime soon? I doubt it. I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of concern lately around online privacy and specifically cookie-based tracking. But I remember back home in the UK when the law was updated to incorporate the EU Online Privacy Directive. Now, the original intent of the law was to clamp down on the unsolicited use of cookie-based tracking systems. Users would have to individually consent to each and every cookie dropped on their computer. Now, needless to say, if that law had been followed to the letter, it would have destroyed a huge part of the digital marketing ecosystem. Users would not, would not have... Ah, let me start that sentence again. Users wouldn't have opted into all the third-party cookies that websites were trying to drop on their system. Retargeting would have been seriously harmed as a consequence. But what actually happened in the UK was that the original intent of the privacy directive wasn't enforced strictly. As long as websites made users aware that cookie-based tracking was being used, then they were in the clear. Uh, users didn't have to opt in to cookie-based tracking, but they were given an option to opt out if they wanted to. And because of that, retargeting wasn't really harmed in the UK. In fact, it wasn't affected at all. It just went on as it always has done. Now, I think that this happened because the government realized the potential destruction that would happen if 
cookie-based tracking just went away. I mean, there would have been a ton of job losses and companies would have gone under and a huge part of the digital marketing industry wouldn't have been able to function. So I think the law was passed to keep privacy advocating voters happy, but it wasn't enforced strictly to its original meaning in order to protect the industry. The UK as a country is really concerned about privacy. So if retargeting can survive in the UK, where there's a lot of concern about privacy, where new laws have been launched to try and clamp out on cookie-based tracking, then I'm pretty confident that retargeting is safe in other countries too. Okay, so now that we are somewhat reassured that this is not a strategy that will go away, um, how does display retargeting relate to increasing conversions on websites? Sure. Um, The way I like to think of retargeting actually is not is not dissimilar to the way that I think of conversion rate optimization. So let's look at a typical e-commerce website and let's assume that it converts at 3%, which is not but not bad for a typical e-commerce website, but it still means that 97% of the users that come to that website are not purchasing anything. So the way that retargeting can help a website or business increase conversions is by continuously showing ads Within certain limits, we can use something called frequency capping to make sure that the retargeted ads aren't shown too often. Because one thing you want to avoid is banner fatigue or banner tiredness, uh, which is where banners are just shown so often to the same user that they become blind to the banners and no longer see it because they're just too used to it. So we show the ads to the 97% of the users who don't convert, and this will often help bring them back to the website and convert on something that they may not have decided to purchase from your website in the first place. A lot of users, or most users in fact, will not just buy the very first thing that they see on the first website they research. Everyone tends to know nowadays that a little bit of research on the web will generally yield better results when you're looking for lower prices. So a user might come to your website, see a product, take a mental note of the price of that product, Uh, and the delivery times and delivery dates. And then they might browse around a bit and look for some other websites that sell the same or a similar product or service. And eventually, a few days down the line, they might convert on your website or perhaps on one of the other websites that they research. Where retargeting can help with this process is that you will stay, by retargeting the customer throughout that customer journey, you will stay front of mind. You will be constantly reminding that customer that your website exists, that you have a product that they're looking for. And if you're really smart, you can set up different creative depending on how far along the customer journey the particular user is. So perhaps one day after they've been to your website, you just show them an ad reminding them of your website and product. Two days after the after they've been to your website, you might show them the same ad, but maybe three to seven days after the website. And the exact time bands that you use are really, really dependent on the type of product that you sell uh, because each different type of product or service has a different typical life cycle and a different typical customer journey length. But depending on the amount of time since the customer has been back to your site, you can show them different ads and the longer the time has been, you can start showing them better and better promotions. So If it's been an entire week since they've been to your site, maybe you give them a 10% discount on the products that they were interested in. And this, of course, helps bring users back to your site and helps get some of that 97% from our example to actually convert. So coming back to what I originally mentioned about retargeting being similar to conversion rate optimization, the reason why I think the two are similar is because they both, neither of them work to increase the traffic coming into your website. They both just work to improve the quality of that traffic, i.e. improve the conversion rate of that traffic. That makes a lot of sense. Do you have any research or case studies that show how many, on average, how many visits to a website a visitor must or usually takes before they convert or they buy something? To be honest, no, I haven't got any specific case studies that I've done because the number can be so incredibly different depending on the particular vertical that you're working in. So, for example, let's say someone's buying an expensive watch like a a tag watch or a Rolex watch. 
It's a very expensive purchase. And they're not just going to go to the first website they see and purchase. They're probably going to go maybe to 10 to 20 different websites over a matter of months. And then they might not even purchase on the website. They might even go into a store, have a look at the watch, then research online. Uh, Compare that to someone who's looking for a much cheaper product. Let's say an ebook, an ebook about personal development or something along those lines. That user is only spending a few dollars, probably less than $10 compared to the thousands of dollars that the watch purchaser is spending. And as a result, they might actually only go to one site and buy the book straight away. So to answer your question, no, unfortunately, I don't have any hard case studies that I can show you simply because every client that I work with and every different product or service type that I work with tends to have a completely different customer journey length. Okay, it makes a lot of sense. I also think it's because, well, it might be because that it's really hard to track how many touches you get with a customer before they purchase. And this is an age-old attribution problem. Absolutely, yeah. There's specialist software out there nowadays that can handle attribution analysis really, really well. And it will tell you how many times a customer came back to your website and which channels they came back through. Google Analytics is now actually offering this for free, which is really interesting because it used to be something that was only offered by higher-end premium analytics packages that charge a significant amount of revenue just for accessing their software on a monthly basis. But increasingly nowadays, analytics packages are offering this attribution analysis capability, i.e. they're letting you see how many times someone came back to your website and which channels they came back through. Well, I actually took a look at the Google Analytics product. It seems that the multi-channel attribution only works for the past 30 days. So that's a bit odd. Yeah, I think uh, Google Analytics multi-attribution funnel is, I mean, you get what you pay for. It's free. And like a lot of stuff that Google produces, it's very, very user-friendly and easy to get to grips with. And I think it's introducing a whole new set of users to the idea of attribution analysis, which is good. But If you want to get really accurate attribution analysis and you want to get attribution analysis that covers a span of greater than 30 days, you've still got to go to some of these more premium specialist suppliers uh, whose product you have to pay for, but they provide a much more accurate look at your customer journey. Do you have any examples of such products? I do. One such service that I like to use for my clients is a UK-based company called DC Storm. I've been working with them for... A year or two now, and I've just always been happy with their level of customer service. There are other services out there that possibly have a bigger sales force, uh, more clients, a bigger team overall. However, what I like about DC Storm is they're not huge, they're not Google, and they cater more closely to the needs of their clients. So what happens when an analytics service becomes really, really, really big is that they kind of have to template the service they give, whereas... In my experience with DC Storm, they provide a much more customized service that you can say, no, I want the reports to look this way and I want this to show up in my dashboard and that to show up in my dashboard and they'll get their engineers right on it and start making the relevant changes so that the software works the way you want it to. So yeah, I've always been really happy with those guys. One thing that really intrigues me about retargeting is the ability to target specific display ads based on what the visitors have viewed in the past. But for a big e-commerce site, do you think this is hard to implement? Are there any shortcuts, faster ways to be able to target or rather create and generate and run these specific ads to the uh, retargeting ads to the visitors? For example, let's say the store has a thousand products. How does that work? The way it works is, well, if you've got a thousand products and you're a fairly big e-commerce store, if you don't already have a product feed set up, then you should really get one set up. And once you've got a product feed set up, uh, that makes it a bit easier to quickly bang out those dynamic retargeting ads. Uh, When I say dynamic retargeting ads, I'm talking about the type of display banners that show you the exact products that you've been looking at before. And the dynamic ads will often be generated for you by the retargeting network or supplier that you decide to use because they'll have 
templates set up that they can use. And all they need to do is plug in the data from your product feed uh, to pull in price information, product images, descriptions, etc. And then they, they'll also use your own brand logos and color schemes. So once you've got that product feed set up, actually the process of setting up those display adverts is not that difficult. It's You're not actually creating thousands and thousands of different files, one display ad for each product. What you're actually doing is plugging your product feed into a customized template that will generate the dynamic ads uh, each time a relevant user is shown an ad when they're browsing around the web. If you don't have a product feed, don't worry too much because there, you've got two options. First of all, you can well, you can go and create the product feed. You can do it yourself or you can hire a company to help create the product feed for you. And there's companies out there that specialize just in doing product feeds mostly for e-commerce merchants. So you can get one of those guys to come along and create a product feed for you. And product feed's not only good for display retargeting, you can use it in many other forms of online advertising as well. For example, you can use it in uh, Google AdWords in search engine marketing to create product listing ads, which are sort of price comparison ads that show up with an image of the product when the user searches for a particular product. Uh, the other option, if, if you don't have a product feed and you don't want to employ a company to create the product feed, is you can actually get your retargeting supplier to do to create the dynamic retargeting ads for you, but not use your product feed. Instead, what they can do is they can scrape your website to collect the information that they need for those dynamic banners. It's much quicker and if you have a up-to-date product feed that always stays up-to-date, it's much quicker and more accurate to do this via a product feed. But in some circumstances, a, a client doesn't want a product feed or they, they just want to get started right away without having to create a product feed. And in those cases, you can use the slightly slower method of creating dynamic display banners by scraping your website. So we've been talking a lot about the different retargeting providers that you keep mentioning. Do you have any favorites that you use? Yeah, absolutely. My, my particular favorite that I'm always pimping is AdRoll. That's A-D-R-O-L-L.com. Uh, the reason why I like them is, firstly, they offer both a site retargeting, standard site retargeting, where the ads will show up on pretty much any website that a user browses. But they also, within the same interface, offer Facebook retargeting. So Facebook recently opened up their advertising inventory to retargeters. So you can now use your retargeting data to target your previous users from your website when they're next browsing on Facebook. AdRoll offers this right alongside standard site retargeting. A lot of other suppliers that I use will offer one or the other, but not both within the same interface. So I like that about AdRoll. I also like AdRoll because the uh, interface is so user-friendly, so clean, so easy to use. I'm okay with pretty much any retargeting dashboard I get into, but uh, some of my clients might not be so uh, experienced with retargeting dashboards, and often the client will want to get in the dashboard themselves and have a look around and have a poke about and see what's what. So for that side of things, uh, AdRoll is great because they've got a, an interface and a dashboard that you can happily show to a client who's a bit of a beginner. Or if you yourself are, are a bit of a beginner with retargeting and you want to get started with an option that's easy to use and understand, their interface is great for that as well. Uh, a lot of retargeting companies get their inventory from exactly the same places. So uh, retargeting companies like for example, AdRoll or SiteScout or Retargeter or Critio, they're all sourcing their... Dis they don't own the display inventory themselves. They source the display inventory from advertising exchanges and networks, and they source the inventory from the same networks and the same exchanges. So essentially, most of these companies have access to exactly the same inventory. So using SiteScout or using AdRoll or using Retargeter you're probably going to get the same level of reach and you're probably going to be buying impressions on the same websites. So that means that other factors such as the interface and ease of use and customer service, those become the distinguishing factors between which retargeting network is the best. And I can also personally attest to AdRoll's uh, good customer service. 
I sound like I'm a salesperson for AdRoll here, uh, and I apologize for that, but I really do just uh, really like the network and use it for, for most of my retargeting campaigns. Since you're talking about AdRoll, how, how do they charge for the inventory? Is it on a CPM basis as well? So yeah, pretty much all the display advertising networks uh, for retargeting will operate on a CPM basis, which means cost per thousand impressions. So what you're buying is ad views rather than ad clicks. Google Display Network is one of the only ones that offers display impressions, uh, display ads or retargeted ads on a cost per click basis. And Google can do this because they're so large. They have such a, a huge network that they can, uh, they can afford to offer things on a CPC basis because people will, uh, publishers will still sell inventory on the Google Display Network. Advertisers will still buy from the Google Network. But most of the rest of the display advertising ecosystem, uh, all the public, publicly traded exchanges uh, operate on a CPM basis. So these other networks that I talk about, Retargeter, AdRoll, SiteScout, they all operate on a CPM basis because the networks that they're all buying from, the exchanges that they're all buying from, are traders on a CPM basis. So now that we know more about retargeting and how to use that to increase conversions, let's talk about display advertising in general. So could you tell us a bit more about what are the different forms of display advertising available to online businesses? Sure. So display advertising has, there are a few different ways to buy it. Uh, so at its most basic, one form of display advertising is the direct site buy. And this is the oldest form of display advertising. This is probably the first form of advertising that appeared on the internet. And all that happens is you see a website that you want to stick adverts on and you phone or email the owner of that website and negotiate a deal where you pay that website directly in exchange for them showing your ads on their site. It was the first form of display advertising that was available online, but it created a problem or it suffered from a problem, which was there are thousands and millions of websites out there. A lot of them have very, very small audiences. But when you aggregate those audiences together, so say, for example, uh, you have, you're an e-commerce merchant in the brain supplements niche. You want to target users who are interested in brain optimization. And there's thousands and thousands of blogs out there all about psychology and brain optimization. And these websites have a very, very relevant audience for you. Now, you could go and phone up each of these websites and spend days on end just getting in contact with them all and negotiating deals. Uh, but that would take absolutely ages. So the, the next form of display advertising that became popular was the ad network. And what these guys did, uh, much like the uh, Google Display Ad Network, what these guys did was they came along and they aggregated uh, together lots and lots and lots of different publisher sites so that as an advertiser, you wouldn't have to go and phone up every single blog or website or news site in your niche. Instead, what you could do is you could go to an ad network and say, I want to buy display ads across all websites that are about this. Or you could say, I want to buy display advertising targeting all users who like this. So ad networks had two roles. They aggregated display advertising so that you could buy different websites from one point of purchase and save a lot of time. And they also allowed you to buy audiences. The ad networks themselves could collect data about people browsing through the ad network and use that data to create audiences so that you wouldn't have to buy particular sites. You could buy an audience. You could buy a group of people who are interested in brain optimization or health or technology or laptops or whatever your audience is. The next sort of evolution of the ad network uh, and a form of display advertising that is becoming very, very uh, prevalent in today's display industry is the advertising exchange and the various technology platforms that allow us to buy across those exchanges. So whereas with an ad network, you are always buying your inventory from the network and the ad network's model was to buy the inventory really, really cheap en masse and then sell it 
for a considerable markup, but still sell it much cheaper than a direct site buy. Uh, they'd sell it for a markup to the advertiser. The ad exchange is different. Uh, for, in the ad exchange, you are bidding on each individual display advertising impression, and you are bidding what you think that impression is worth to your business and you are bidding in a competitive landscape against other advertisers and the money goes directly to the publisher with a very small percentage going to the ad exchange or the technology platform that enabled the exchange to happen. So to an advertiser, using an ad exchange can look very similar to using an ad network. You have access to thousands and thousands of websites, all from one point of purchase, all from one technology platform. But the difference is because there's no real middleman, there's no ad network that's buying inventory and then selling it on. You're just purchasing inventory directly off the publisher uh, with a small percentage going to the technology platform. Because of that, it became much cheaper for the advertiser to buy inventory. And at the same time, a lot of publishers were able to, uh, this sounds counterintuitive, but a lot of publishers were also able to extract more revenue from their display impressions. And this is because instead of selling all their inventory in a massive block to an ad network, they had multiple advertisers bidding for each individual impressions based on the data that those advertisers have about the users. So if you sell your inventory in a big block to an ad network, the ad network's going to pay a bottom-of-the-barrel price. But if you're selling each individual impression to a different advertiser, and each of those advertisers has won a mini-auction because they want to bid the most for that impression based on the data they have about the user, you're generally going to get a higher price for your overall impression. So it's kind of a win-win situation. Advertisers could save costs by cutting out the ad network middleman. Publishers could better monetize their inventory by selling it in an auction based on the advertiser's data. So that's probably the most recent evolution of display advertising. There's a fourth form of display advertising that's, you can, some people would argue it's not a different form of display advertising, but I feel that Facebook should be mentioned in a category all by itself because it's so huge. Facebook is now the largest single source of display advertising impressions in the world. Uh, last time I checked, their market share of display impressions outstripped the next three biggest competitors combined. The next three biggest competitors were MSN, Yahoo, and, uh, and Google, I believe it was. So they get more display ad impressions than anyone else, and they've given birth to completely new forms of new formats of display advertising. So their display ads are not only an image, but also text alongside that image. And also, you can now buy Facebook uh, display ads in the newsfeed. So no longer are they confi confined to the right-hand side of a user's newsfeed. They can now actually be bought directly inside the user's newsfeed, which is massively in increased click-through rates. Um, and I'm seeing better conversion rates and uh, CPA targets across all my clients that are using this. So because it's had quite an impact on the display ind industry at large, I, I kind of feel like Facebook should be mentioned in a category all by itself. At this point, I think I need to mention why we're talking about display advertising in the first place. And we're spending so much effort on, uh, we're spending so much time talking about the the nitty gritties of display advertising. So when we do conversion optimization for some websites, um, it's very pervasive that the primary traffic sources are PPC as well as uh, organic SEO traffic. And when we get the conversion rate up to a certain point, then what? It's not that well known to especially small business owners that there's a lot of display advertising out there and the amount of display advertising and the traffic you can get from that actually far exceeds what you can get from organic search traffic as well as PPC. However, it's actually quite difficult to convert display traffic right off the bat because it's usually a very less targeted form of traffic and it's harder to convert because of that. Although that that's changing. So, but we, we can't talk about converting customers from display advertising when we have not mentioned what display advertising is in the first place. That's why we're spending so much effort on this. So let's just let's touch a bit more about like conversions with regards to display advertising. So the click-through rate of a display ad is a pretty important factor 
when it comes to the full funnel conversion because if the visitor does not click through or visit your website after they see a display ad, there's no conversion because well, they don't visit your website. So we consider this a micro conversion when it comes to um, increasing conversions on websites. So do you have any strategies on how businesses can increase click-through rates on their banner ads? Sure. So one of the most important factors in increasing your click-through rate is the creative or the banner itself, the way it looks and the way you've designed it and the information that you put inside the banner. So when designing banners for direct response display advertising campaigns, one very, very important thing that I tell all my clients is that you've got to have a really clear and visible call to action. Users have got to see that display ad and know that you want them to click on it. If there's no call to action, if there's nothing to entice them to click, they'll probably see it and just think, okay, yeah, that looks great. Now I'm just going to carry on browsing or doing whatever else I was doing. So one of the most important things you can do is get that call to action on there. And the other important thing that goes really hand in hand with the call to action is to make it clearly clickable. So I find that a lot of the time, a call to action inside a button works really well. But also I've found that uh, just underlining it or putting a little arrow after the call to action or just some sort of graphical format that makes it quite clear that your call to action is clickable. That generally helps quite a lot as well with increasing click-through rates. The other thing that you can do with your creative is to put some sort of promotion, discount or offer on there. So if you're selling widgets and you've got one banner that has just a call to action on it or another banner that says 10% off today only and then your call to action, clearly the one with the discount, the one with the money, off, the money offer is going to get more click-throughs. So whatever kind of offer you can put together for your banner ad creative will really help with the click-through rate and bringing users through to your site. The other area where you can increase click-through rates of your banners is how you treat your placements and how you optimize those placements. So when I talk about placements, I'm talking about where you put your banner ads or the kind of targeting that you use. So you want to make sure that you only put your banners in very, very relevant websites or show them to very, very relevant users. So you can either target particular websites or you can target particular users, whichever, whichever type of targeting you decide to use. You've just got to make sure it's as relevant as it can be. And that's why retargeting works so well, because it's so relevant to your audience. The user has already been to your website before. They've already looked at your products. So it's not a huge leap of faith to assume that they're probably interested in your website and products. So the more targeted and more relevant you can make your display ad to the user or website where you're placing the display ad, the better your click-through rate will be. And then as a final point, there's optimization. So you can optimize your targeting and placements. You can also optimize your creative. So I always recommend clients to create multiple sets of creative, which I run at the same time in a split test. And then after a set period of time, start optimizing the delivery towards whichever form of creative is delivering the better click-through rate. You can also optimize your targeting criteria and placements. So when you start a display advertising campaign, you might test out 10 different targeting methodologies across 10 different suppliers. As you get further and further into the campaign, some of those suppliers and targeting methods will deliver better click-through rates and you can optimize and spend less on the areas that don't deliver the click-through rates you need and spend more on the areas that do deliver the click-through rates that you need. However, what you're probably also doing at the same time is monitoring your conversion rates. So if you are monitoring your conversion rates, which I highly recommend that you do from your display advertising campaigns, then you might be able to just skip the whole process of optimizing your, your click-through rate. Sometimes you find that click-through rate isn't directly correlated to conversion rate. A banner that has a lower click-through rate, click rate might actually have a higher conversion rate. So to summarize, while optimization can be used to improve your click-through rate, it's probably better used to skip click-through rate and just optimize your conversion rate. When you say conversion rate, are we talking like end-to-end -end conversion rate? Yeah, I'm talking from initial ad view to 
conversion. So the conversion rate of your display campaign. Great. So this would be a great time to talk about uh, view-through conversions versus click-through conversions. So this is an issue that only turns up in display advertising, basically. So maybe you would be a better person to define and uh, tell us a bit more about how what to look out for when measuring conversions from banner ads. Sure. So first of all, I'll, I'll define the term view-through conversions because I'm guessing a lot of your listeners might not have heard that term before. A view-through conversion, uh, which is also known as a post-impression conversion, uh, you might see it shortened to PI for post-impression or VTC for uh, view-through conversion. Uh, it's a conversion that happens when a user has seen your ad, your display ad, but they haven't clicked on the display ad, but after seeing your display ad, they've gone and then converted on your website. So whereas most conversions happen, uh, or most conversions that we measure as marketers happen post-click, someone clicks on a PPC ad or someone clicks on an affiliate link and then they convert on your website. Uh, what happens a lot with display advertising is that people don't necessarily click on display ads, it's actually only a, a small proportion of people who are very likely to click on the display ad. Most people will often see display ads, but not. they may take notice of the ad, they may be affected by it, but they probably won't click on it because they were busy doing something else at that point in time and they don't want to be interrupted with whatever task they were doing. So that's why in display advertising we measure the view-through conversion rate because display advertising is so such a visual form of advertising. Just measuring the post-click conversion rate often doesn't tell the whole story. You might be running display ads that have a terrible post-click-through conversion rate but when you look at the view-through conversion rate, you see that time and time again, display ads are being shown just before a user then converts. So uh, as display advertisers, it's useful for us to be aware of the view-through conversion rate. But there are certain pitfalls that have to be taken into account when you're measuring the view-through conversion rate. For example, there's, there's essentially what you could call uh, cookie spam. So a user converts on your website, they've seen a display ads one day before, how do you actually know that display ad contributed to that sale? Maybe the user was going to make that sale on your website anyway, and then the display ad just appeared in their customer journey. Uh, maybe they didn't even see the display ad, but they were you know, browsing on eBay yesterday, a display ad popped up on their page that they didn't even notice. But because the display ad popped up, a cookie was dropped on their system. And when they went and made the sale the next day, your display ad network is claiming some attribution, claiming some credit for that sale because they showed an ad. So that makes view-through a bit of a tricky beast because when you're measuring view-through conversions, you have to take into account the fact that a certain proportion of those view-through conversions might have happened anyway, especially when you're using a retargeted audience. Those, those people have been to your website anyway. And even if you didn't show your retargeted audience display ads, there's a chance they'd convert anyway, simply because they've been to your website, they might come back. So view-through conversions can be, can be helpful to show that there is some effect on your advertising campaign or on your overall conversion rate, but you can't just use them as the only KPI to measure the effectiveness of display advertising, because you've got to look into other factors to determine whether the display ads are actually having an increase on your conversion rate. One thing that I like to do is look at the overall conversion rate and overall sales volume of your website. So if you're getting a ton of view through conversions, but your overall sales volume is staying pretty static, then you can conclude that those view through conversions aren't actually contributing much to your sales. What you want to see is a ton of view-through conversions, but also an increase in your overall sales volume or an increase in the conversion rate of people who have seen your display ads compared to the conversion rate of people who have not seen your display ads. When you see, when you see that in combination with a high level of view-through conversions, then you can start to uh, deduce that your display advertising campaign is in fact working. Let's talk a bit more about Benefit. Could you tell us what that is and how it affects conversions and 
what we should do about it? Sure. Banner fatigue is, it's what happens when you've shown your banners too often to the same user. So especially with retargeting, it's very, very easy to show the same ad again and again and again to the same user because your retargeted audience might be quite small. And if you don't put in place a frequency cap, a limit on the amount of times you can show a user the same ad, then that user might see the same ad again and again and again. And what happens when they've seen it too many times is they become fatigued. They become used to the ad and they stop seeing it. So the way you combat this is to constantly change up your banners. Make sure that you're Every two to four weeks, you're refreshing your creative. You're using different USPs or uh, unique selling propositions in your ads, or and you're trying different call to actions, different imagery, uh, even different ad sizes and different placements. Make sure that your creative is never static for too long. Make sure that you don't just use the same banners for months on end, because then what you'll see is banner fatigue. And if you draw a little graph of your click-through rate by day, you can probably see when banner ad fatigue kicks in quite clearly because you'll start to see your click-through rate dropping significantly after a period of time. So one way to combat banner fatigue is to constantly monitor your click-through rates and as soon as they start to drop over a period of days, refresh your creative and, and get new creative out there. Alternatively, you can just set up a schedule whereby you're refreshing your creative every two to four weeks anyway so that your click-through rate never really starts to drop. It never really starts to go down day by day because you're just refreshing it before that even starts to happen. Either way you do it, it's advisable to have a designer on hand who can be updating your creative so that you can constantly be testing and trialing different approaches to your audience to avoid that banner fatigue. So we're coming to the end of the podcast. Could you give us a general strategy for... If there's one takeaway from this whole podcast, what's the... the your recommended strategy to increase conversions on websites using retargeting and display advertising? So the very top line strategy, the very general strategy is simply just to start using retargeting because if you've got a sizable audience, a sizable amount of unique users coming to your website, then you really should start to retarget those. Uh, now, how, how you go about that uh, goes something like this. So I'll, I'll break it down in a few steps just to make it easier to understand. Uh, first of all, you'll want to get in touch with a, you want to get in, in direct touch with a retargeting supplier or alternatively an agency if you have a, a digital marketing agency or a consultant if you use one. But either through a, a middleman or, or directly if you're able to handle the relationship yourself, you want to get in touch with a retargeting supplier uh, such as AdRoll or such as SiteScout or Google. And depending on your size, you might get a fully managed solution or you might have to go and set things up yourself. The first step in your retargeting strategy is to get the tracking pixel on your site. I should mention that retargeting is really only for people or businesses that have at least a few thousand uh, unique users per month. So make sure, as your first step, make sure that you're getting, I'd say as a minimum, 5,000 unique users per month. Once you get up to that level and beyond, retargeting starts to become effective. Below that level, it's not so effective because you've got a much smaller audience to target. And once you factor in the click-through rate and the conversion rate and the reach of the ad network, the few thousand users that you can target will might only become one sale per month or two sales per month, which would make it not worth going through the effort of setting everything up. So step one, make sure you've got the uh, a relevant sized audience, 5,000 unique users at least per month. Step two is get those tracking pixels set up on your website. The sooner you get the tracking pixels on your website, the sooner you'll be collecting retargeting data about your users. So you want to get up to about five to 10,000 users with a retargeting cookie dropped on their system before you start your campaign. So once you've got your retargeting cookie on your website, you're collecting retargeting data about your users, you can then go away and do the rest of the, the setup for your retargeting campaign. And that's the point where you'll be creating banners. There are five main sizes that you can create banners in. That's um, 300 by 250, a 468 by 60, a 728 by 90, uh, 160 by 600 and a 120 by 600. And those are dimensions in pixels. 
those are the five most common ad banner dimensions. So you want to go and get those sizes created. You'll upload them or your agency or consultant will upload the sizes to your ad network or retargeting supplier. If you're big enough to have a fully managed retargeting campaign, so let's say you go to AdRoll, if you've got 5,000 unique users per month, you, you're not big enough to get a fully managed solution. You're going to be setting things up in AdRoll yourself. If you've got 100,000 unique users per month, then you can probably get AdRoll to do everything for you. So at that point, it becomes easy. You just hand over your banners to AdRoll and get them to set everything up for you. And then you sit back and wait for reports to come in and just make sure and monitor uh, that everything's going well. Now, if you're a bit smaller and you're doing this yourself, you're going to want to go into the, you'll sign up for a free account with your retargeting supplier and you'll go into the interface. You might have to do a bit of homeschooling on how to use their interface. But essentially, the general process is to upload your ad creative to their platform because they'll, they'll serve the ads out for you and then create a, a campaign that targets the retargeted audience that you've set up on your website. And then you want to sit and wait for the audience to build up to a significant size before launching the campaign. So the ads that you've uploaded to the interface, add them to the campaign that you've created. These are, these are all very general steps because each interface is different depending on the supplier that you use. But add your creative to your campaign, hit the big old launch button and go. Uh, you'll, want, you'll also want to pay close attention to your PM bids. So probably start low. If, if you're being cost conscious, start low and build up slowly uh, as time goes by to make sure that your, your conversion rates can compensate for the, uh, for the cost of the display impressions that you're buying. So start with a CPM bid of maybe one to two bucks and then build up slowly depending on how well the performance goes and monitor it on a weekly basis and slowly build it up to the point where you're hitting uh, whatever maximum weekly budget you can hit. As the campaign goes on, just make sure you avoid banner ad fatigue by constantly updating your creative. And if you've got a really big site, if you've got lots and lots of unique users per month, you can also segment your audience depending on which pages on your site they visit. So you can show ads to users who have abandoned the cart and those ads can be specific to those users, whereas users who have just been to your homepage might be shown a different ad. And by tailoring the ads and segmenting your audience like that, you're going to increase your click-through and conversion rates. So where can people find out more about you or get in touch with you? So if people want to find out more about me, you can check out my website at darylmander.com or alternatively check me out on uh, LinkedIn. There's my professional profile up there and I keep it up to date. If people want to get in touch with me, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is just Daryl Amanda. And also, if anyone would like to get in touch, if any of your listeners are interested in getting a, a free consultation on their retargeting or display advertising campaign, uh, they can get in touch with me via email, uh, which is darylmanda at gmail.com. And the name is spelled D-A-R-Y-L-M-A-N-D-E-R. Thanks once again for coming on the podcast today. My pleasure. Hey everyone, if you like the Conversions Podcast, please do leave us a review and rating over at iTunes. I would really appreciate that. That would really help the podcast grow and to help us get more awesome guests to interview and provide more great conversion strategies to help you bring your website's performance to the next level. Thank you for listening to the Conversions Podcast. Please leave us a review and rating on iTunes if you enjoy our podcast. We love hearing from you. Connect with us at our website, conversionspodcast.com, and let us know what you think. 